Welcome to Magic Story Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. And I'm your other host, Harless. We both work on magic at Wizards of the Coast. We don't work on the story, but we work with the people who do. In this podcast, we recap magic story and condense it into easy to consume episodes. And of course, it wouldn't be magic without flavor text. So we'll give you our thoughts as well. This season, we are talking all about Dominaria United. Join us as we head into the multiverse. Welcome to the Magic Story Podcast. This season, we're diving into Dominaria United, which is a five-part story. Today, we're talking about episode one, Echoes in the Dark by Langley Hyde. Now, neither of us works on the world-building team. We are both really big fans who love the story, and we're starting with you. So we aren't trying to recap 30 years of magic history. There's plenty of stuff online for you to look at. Really amazing content for you to read, for you to listen to, for you to watch if you want to catch up on the last 30 years. But if you want to know what's happening with magic right now and what this big story arc is all all about, what it's leading up to, this is your best place to start. So today we're going to be starting off with one of our planeswalkers, Karn. And before we jump into the story, Natalie, can you tell us a little bit who Karn is? So for those of you who have never met Karn, Karn is a planeswalker, meaning he has the power to be able to walk between planes or worlds between the multiverse and magic. And he is a golem that was created a long time ago by an artificer. And he is made of metal. He has, he's like made up of all of these chrome silverish platings and he's humanoid. So he's, he has the shape of a human but he is very tall and very broad. Um, He's like a little bit bigger than all of his human comrades. He kind of describes humans as being small and fragile. So uh, Karn is kind of this very big, imposing sort of uh, golem machine that was actually built to have a conscience. Okay, so Karn is essentially here because he has found this artifact called the Silex. Now, we don't really have insight into how he found this artifact at the beginning of the story. But what is important to know is that he's looking for the key to how to use it. So he knows it's a powerful ancient artifact. He knows that it potentially could stop the Phyrexians in their tracks if there is a Phyrexian invasion impending, but he doesn't know how to use it. It's very complicated. It's very confusing. He's not sure. He he can see exactly what it is. He can see exactly what it's made out of um, because he's Karn and he can do that, but he's not able to figure out how it works. No one has been able to crack this code yet. He is also, while he is here, looking for proof that the Phyrexians are indeed still a threat. He has always believed that the Phyrexians were not fully defeated long ago, and he thinks that they are still a threat to the multiverse. But he needs proof to do that. So that those two things are why he is here. While he's doing this, he bursts through rock and finds this ancient workshop that looks like it's from Urza's mortal lifetime. So a really long time ago. Now, inside this little workshop, he finds a diagram of the Silex on a piece of parchment and a gray slab of clay with symbols on it that are the same symbols that are on the Silex. The script is unrecognizable, but the symbols match. Just when Karn thinks he can figure this out, all the books in the workshop turn to dust in front of him. Oh man, this place is old. Yeah, you could say that. They just turned to dust? <laughs> right. Just, 
disintegrated right in front of him. Just a little ancient. So he has to take this clay slab with the duplicated diagram of the Silex back to his base camp, which is where he has the Silex hidden. Karn uses his ability to operate any sort of machinery to create a lockbox around the Silex that only opens for him. The Silex is quoted as desiring to be filled with the memories of the land. And now in order to understand what's going on here, I think it's important to visualize where Karn is. So Natalie, can you actually describe the cave system that Karn is in? Yeah, so Karn has set up his base camp very much in the center of his whole underground operation. So imagine you're deep into an underground excavation. You've got like one main entrance that winds down and it meets up with kind of this central space where Karn has set up his equipment, and this is also where the Silex is. Beyond that, there are tons of these half-dug tunnels, kind of spider-weaving outwards. Some have dead ends, others have started to interconnect, and these are all being dug by Karn's machines. Like, he has made these machines to help him dig. Urza's old workshop that Karn had just busted into before is even deeper into this underground network, kind of nestled and buried away where no one would ever think to find it. So in essence, the only way to get to and from places down here is through these dugout tunnels filled with machines. Back at base camp, Karn realizes a piece of that tablet that he carried back is missing. And he needs the full thing to interpret to make sure he understands how to utilize the Silex. So he immediately heads back to that workshop. But on the way, he hears a piece of the machinery that he has excavating death rattle. And he's kind of like, okay, I got to deal with this. So he pulls the machine away from the wall. And there's an oily black substance on the machinery's arm. Karn, exceedingly powerful and reading molecular components of the world around him. It's almost like a supernatural power he has. It's literally his planeswalker ability. He can tell that this oil is Phyrexian in origin. And not just an ancient relic of Phyrexia, this is new and fresh. This means that Phyrexia is on Dominaria right now. So Karn was right. Now, while Karn is analyzing the Phyrexian object, this oil gets everywhere, by the way. The tunnel collapses behind him. So Karn's not having a great day. Not only can he not go back to his base camp, but the workshop where the clay tablet was is now unobtainable as well. So he's forever missing a piece of this clay tablet. Karn knows he needs to warn everyone, so his only choice is to go forward down this Phyrexianized tunnel where, and I'm quoting here, the walls looked organic, winding through the stones like veins through a body. So this creepy tunnel opens up into a room, and Karn sees all sorts of crazy stuff on the walls in this room. There are these freshly carved images that almost resemble religious mythology of Phyrexians. And there's two human sculptors here that have been working on these images. And these two humans seem to be a mix of machine and organic. Now, remember that Karn has the ability to understand material compounds by touch. So he touches the mural. And when he does, this creepy woman who is half human but has these like augmentations that it looks like she's done to herself where she has like this metalized stuff around her jaw immediately starts attacking him. But Karn's a powerful planeswalker, and as Natalie mentioned earlier, humans are kind of puny to him, so he easily restrains them. Now, once they're restrained, Karn tries to question them on what they're doing here and why they're creating portraits of Phyrexians of all things. They're humans. They should not be here. And the woman just gives this cryptic response about the barrier being broken, and then Karn realizes, of course, he's just tripped some Phyrexian alarm by pulling out the arm of that mechanism in the wall. And from here, things are about to get real. So Karn questions the man, too who responds with, the whispering one has a plan for you, the acolyte beamed. She grows stronger daily and you will serve her. She, Oldred, welcomes you. 
It's your destiny, Karn, to create for us, to help us, to become one of us. Wait, wait, wait. Shieldred? You, you said you said Shieldred, right? Or or I suppose this acolyte said Shieldred. This this is crazy. We're mentioning Shieldred after how long? Exactly. So we aren't going to go heavy into past lore because like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we are telling you about Dominaria. However, some backstory here. This is not the first time Karn has seen Shieldred. It's been a very long time since Karn has seen Shieldred. And Shieldred is, of course, a Phyrexian. Not just any Phyrexian. Okay, oh, wait, wait, wait. We'll save that for later. Keep going. Harless, please keep going. The moment Shieldred is mentioned, Karn knows he has to, I mean absolutely has to stop her. If he's the only one who knows she's here, meaning on Dominaria, he knows it's his responsibility to stop the danger and protect the people. That's the thing about Karn. He is inherently good. He's powerful, but he's lost people in the past because of the Phyrexians. And so this danger is particularly personal to him. So a bit more urgently now, Karn leaves the two humans restrained and gagged and then ventures deeper into the tunnel for more clues. And he's rewarded pretty immediately. Although calling it a reward is a bit of a stretch because yikes, I would not want to come across this myself. He stumbles upon the Phyrexian staging grounds in this giant underground cavern. The tunnel opened into a vast cavern, which echoed with the cacophony of human misery. On the other side of the crevasse was a Phyrexian staging ground located on a broad flat area of the cavern floor. Ant-like workers scrambled across the rope bridges strung over the crevasse, ferrying meaty gobs, bloody cables, and chunks of flesh over to humans being completed on surgical tables. On the opposite wall of the cavern, a Phyrexian portal ship cut through the darkness like an immense scythe. Coils hung from the structure. The twitching loop's membranous purple gleam reminded Karn of intestines. Shieldred hung suspended in this morass. She was still... Tubes fed reddish and milky substances into her black segmented body. The mandibles that extended down from her thorax lay open, relaxed. Her humanoid torso, welded to the thorax's top, lay nested in a thick network of writhing, inky lines. A horned mask obscured her face. Beneath her, worshippers clung together and raised their voices in an ecstatic paean. So yeah, here's Shieldred. Yay. He found her. Yay? Right? <laughs> I don't know that it's much of a yay. I would not be very excited to stumble no. upon children myself. After hearing that description of her, no, this is not. And and Nightmare may I remind fuel. you that Karn is trapped down here <laughs> like with, with children. This is, yikes. Right, his everything caved behind him. He can only go forward, and this is what he found. Like, can you imagine? I'm looking for clues on this artifact. Oh my god, here's the whole invasion. Oh, I found Shieldred. No big deal. <laughs> right. So Shieldred is vulnerable, though. It seems like she's being put back together. There's this woman there fixing her. She's like this wounded spider in the center of a web. Shieldred is nestled in the heart of this Phyrexianized network of completion. So pausing for a moment. I bet there are a few out there who are wondering, complete, by the way, in, in magic lore is spelled C-O-M-P-L-E-A-T. And completion is the process of turning someone or something into a Phyrexian. And a Phyrexian is, as you probably have guessed by now, a machine-like creature that was once organic, but now only serves Phyrexia. Now that we know exactly how horrifying this is, Karn has a moment where he realizes a predicament. He has no idea how Shieldred got here. Clearly, she can move through planes all of a sudden. 
So just as quickly as she got here, she could disappear. And for Karn, it's not just a matter of planeswalking out and getting help. First of all, planeswalking takes energy. If you've ever played an RPG with a spellcaster of any kind, you typically have a limited amount of mana or spell slots. Same is true for Magic's planeswalkers. They can't just infinitely use their powers. Karn has been through a lot to get here. Second of all, Karn is alone. He might be a powerful planeswalker, but even taking Shieldred out of the equation for a moment, there's still a cave full of completed acolytes. So personal story time really fast. When I was a kid, I got this uh, toy car that you could sit in and you kind of like moved it with your feet. I lived in an apartment complex and so I got all the kids to come over. We were taking turns riding this little car down a very small hill. I was very young and we were just having a great time. And I'm standing up there, I'm waiting for my turn and I suddenly start screaming bloody murder because all of a sudden everything is pain. And this is when I learned how fire ants attack. Now, essentially they're gonna climb onto their victim. So they covered my leg and they sent signals to one another to all bite at the same time. Now, obviously this feels horrible, but it's extra horrible because it's all happening at one moment. If they'd bitten me one at a time, the pain would have been minimal and I would have brushed them off. Instead, the simultaneous attack felt like it incapacitated me. Like how fire ants have this synchronized attack system, this like almost telepathic way of bringing down their threats together, it seems like completed acolytes have the same ability. So Karn is alone, but he has this one chance while Shieldred seems incapacitated to attack before all the, uh, you know, ants <laughs> come at him. He starts to use his powers to create what is essentially a bomb, a very powerful bomb. So it sounds like Karn's got a plan. Are we going to see the end of Shieldred right here, right now? Oh, not quite. So you remember that woman working on the mural that Karn had restrained just a little bit ago? Mm-hmm. Well, she gets free and is now sounding an alarm horn because there's a threat in the cavern, like literally uh -oh. sounding an, a horn to alert everybody. Immediately, this hive starts packing up shop. So the female acolyte who has been fixing Shieldred, her name is Rona, by the way, attacks Karn. Now, before we go into the attack, I want to describe to you what Rona looks like. So Rona is a black woman. She has a very determined look on her face. Like she just looks like somebody that you really probably don't want to get in a fight with, partially because, Natalie, would you like to read this quote for us about a particular feature of Rona? Yeah. So she had replaced her eye with a miniaturized ray cannon and its red beam hits Karn. So Rona is this very powerful artificer herself and has clearly been able to do work on her own body, which I mean, how just like absolutely tough as nails is that to be able to like create metal components in your own physical face, tough as nails. Yeah. And that's the thing about these acolytes, right? Is that they worship Phyrexia so passionately that they manipulate their own bodies to be able to like infuse themselves with these mechanized things to be able to enhance, enhance themselves. And that is both equal parts terrifying at times that uh, Karn is faced with this uh, sort of foe, but also, as you put it, Harless, tough as nails. Yeah, I would definitely want to go to her artificer school uh, just to learn how to be as tough as her, to be honest. Like the magic is a bonus at this point. I Just teach me how to be as tough as you, Rona. <laughs> so Rona puts her beam from her eye cannon on Karn, and he knows, oh gosh, it's coming. So he's able to evade her attack, but now they're locked down in a fight. He gets back up and he beelines for Shieldred, who is still not moving. And on his way, he's attacked by multiple Phyrexians and Acolytes and Rona. Now, whether Karn wanted it or not, 
Urza had created him for battle, so he's tearing through this cave. Now finally, he makes it to Shieldred. She's twitching her fingers a little, but otherwise she's still mostly out of it. And Rona starts talking to Karn. She says, you aren't as impressive as I've been led to believe. Karn, still carrying this bomb he made, just tries not to let her distract him from his mission to destroy Shieldred. But as he gets closer, Rona and Karn have a really intense battle. Rona is definitely more formidable than the others, but she's still no match for Karn. He destroys that eye cannon, which pretty much takes her out of the fight. Why don't you kill me, she asks him. To which he responds, I am not a weapon. Oh, whoa. Okay, so that really shows the difference between these two beings, right? The Phyrexians being one type of mechanism made for destruction and has no choice in the matter. And then you have Karn, who has this conscious ability to choose to be merciful. Now with Rona down, Karn approaches Shieldred. As he gets closer, he can see that Rona has tried her best to patch Shieldred back together. Transiting between worlds has clearly torn her apart, as Shieldred was not meant to be able to do this. Shieldred had the power to Phyrexianize this world, even as weak as she was, but Karn cannot let that happen. He reaches up to tuck the bomb between the plates of her body, and then she wakes up. So, fun fact here, Shieldred is so inorganic at this point that Karn can read her like she's a piece of metal just like how he was able to read the oil from the wall and the mural. So Shieldred whispers to him in his mind, Welcome, father. What plans I have for you. Ooh, okay. So Karn can actually see some of the horrible things she's done as she does this. She's like putting all these images into his mind as she's saying this. Now, the worst of these is that Shieldred has placed sleeper agents across Dominaria. And Natalie, can you tell us what a sleeper agent is? So the critical thing to keep in mind is that sleeper agents don't know that they're sleeper agents, hence the name. They are spies for Phyrexia who have no idea they're spies. And I'm going to read to you here... In, in the actual story of, of what this actually is like to be sleeper agents. So I quote, Phyrexian sleeper agents lurked in every land in Dominaria. These unknowing spies peppered throughout every government, throughout the military, throughout common people. He saw a brewer dumping hops into a vat, a spy. He saw a scribe sitting at a desk, her hand poised over a letter. He saw an adolescent playing chase with his cousins pretending to be a monster when he was one. Phyrexian amateur, ready to explode from his back. Phyrexian agents were people's lovers, comrades, colleagues at work. They were everywhere. They could be anyone. Okay, that's absolutely terrifying. So it could be anyone. And oh my gosh, the line that Langley wrote about the child pretending to be a monster when he was one. Oh, that's so good. It gave me goosebumps. It gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah. Because that child doesn't know that they are a sleeper agent. That they they're... have no idea. And that's almost the tragic part, too, is that they don't know that they're a spy. They're completely innocent in this. And the, the Phyrexians could have just infiltrated them. And they are ignorant and innocent in the matter. Well, Karn is just as horrified as us at seeing and hearing children's thoughts. So he reaches to flip the switch on the bomb and finds he cannot move at all. And it's Rona. She's constructed this magical force around him that is preventing him from moving. Now, meanwhile, Rona is gloating that he should have killed her when he had the chance and says, we've expected your coming, Karn. We have prepared. She drags herself with her shattered lens, her shattered eye cannon lens, and broken leg toward the pile of parts she'd been using to repair Shieldred and fixes her own eye. Again, this lady is tough as nails. And at this point, there's this big boom in the cavern. It's the sound of evacuating ships. The Phyrexians have escaped. 
We have many bases across Dominaria, Rona says. You will not find them all. Now Karn is arm deep in Shieldred's torso, frozen, and he starts to feel movement. So get this, y'all. Shieldred essentially splits herself into a bunch of tiny little mechanical spiders. Braxians are just horrifying like that. And crawls along frozen Karn to get to the floor and scampers away. Just like that. She's gone. A million tiny little robot spiders. You have just described my worst nightmare. Right? <laughs> all of, like, just these tiny little spiders crawling all over you to escape. Like, uh, no. Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm not, I'm not like, afraid of spiders. I, I love spiders, actually. I think they're, um, they're really beneficial to, you know. What's wrong you? <laughs> spiders I are the <laughs> I know, but I, I get why people are freaked out by spiders. And this one freaked me out because he's frozen. And they're crawling all over him, like on his face, on his eyes, and he can't move. Like that, that to me, even as someone who loves spiders, is absolutely horrifying. I hate it. <laughs> I don't like it. Yeah, it's it's my worst nightmare. I, I quick side story with Natalie. I actually have arachnophobia. And this 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 came about when I was really young. I was about maybe four or five years old. And uh I, for a time, I lived in Oregon, Washington. And for anyone who knows the Pacific Northwest in the United States, there are tons of spiders. Um, and we were on a road trip and we were going to stop and get rid of our recycling along the way, along the, along this road. We lived into like really backwoods, Oregon. So we had to drive quite a ways to the closest recycling center. And so we had these big bins of recycling in the car with us that we took out of the garage. No idea that we were carrying a guest in, in those uh, in those big recycling bins in the back of the car. About 30 minutes into the drive, I am in my car seat and just minding my own business as a little four-year-old enjoying the car ride. And I look down at my seatbelt across the car seat, and there is this giant spider oh, no. on my seatbelt right near my car seat. And I am in my car seat. I can't go anywhere. You're trapped. I start screaming bloody murder. And this was a... Uh, it's it's actually called a candy stripe spider. Um, and for those of you who have seen candy stripe spiders, they are the most bizarre looking spiders. They're massive, by the way. They have the most enormous thorax. And it was probably about, with its legs, it was probably about maybe two or three inches wide with this giant thorax. And it was the most terrifying thing. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, so I just looked it up and like this thing's like it looks like a watermelon. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, like an unripe watermelon that has like you know, like that yellow color, but then it has these like blood red almost streaks through it. Yes. That, and it was two inches bit oh my god. Yes. And and it made its way up into my car seat. And obviously as a four-year-old, this spider is two inches long and it is feels like it's as big as my own head. And so I start screaming. My brother's in the front seat and sees this and starts screaming. And my mom is driving and she can't pull over on this highway. Oh, no. So she has two people freaking out in the car with no idea what's going on. Two young children freaking out in the car. And it takes about 10 minutes with this spider on my car seat. And I can't do anything. I am screaming and crying and by the time my mom finally pulls over and gets the spider out, I had to spend 10 minutes with this giant candy striped spider on my car seat as a four-year-old. And ever since, I have hated spiders. They are like my, I have arachnophobia. If I see one in the house, I can't go near it. I, it, it, it seriously is like the most 
nightmarish thing that I can imagine. So this scene with Karn is probably like literally my worst nightmare. It brings me back to that to that episode in the car seat with the candy stripe spider. Well, Natalie, I have to say it kind of warms my heart that we both had like life altering experiences with bugs as children. <laughs> Changed us. Changed us as children. And funny that they both came into play in episode one of Dominaria right? United. <laughs> Yeah, if you uh, if you don't like tiny robot spiders, you probably don't want to be phyrexianized. Just saying. So Rona is still going on. She's saying, I hope that as we take this world, as we make it more perfect, you will feel the keenness of failure once again. So this is completion mentality of the Phyrexians at its prime here. Rona like, honestly believes in the Phyrexians' triumph. And, well, to be honest, after seeing what they can do, I am honestly scared for Dominaria right now. It's about to get even scarier. Because Rona flips a switch, which sets off a series of explosions and completely collapses the cavern. Karn is buried under rock. He starts to feel Rona's spell ease off, but not much good that does him. He's crushed under stone now, and he can't move. He can't even planeswalk away because there's interference from all the Phyrexian and ancient Dominarian technology around him. We assume Rona has gotten away, though, because her magic fades. It doesn't just, like, snap off. It doesn't... um like just completely cut off. He feels it fade. So he kind of assumes that she got away with the Phyrexians. Poor Karn. He really can't catch a break, can he? Even Rona gets away. And Karn, may I remind everyone, Karn is the only one here. He's the only one who knows Shieldred has come to Dominaria. And there's nothing he can do about it. He's completely trapped under this like caved in cave. And that's where we leave you for the end of episode one. So let's recap really fast. I, I, a lot has happened in episode one already. Absolutely. Karn suspected there were Phyrexians, found complete proof that there were Phyrexians, and then was completely prevented from telling anyone else that there's Phyrexians because he was buried under tons and tons of rocks, along with any other like clues that could be there about the Silex or anything else that might help fight a Phyrexian invasion. Right. So the Silex is down here. You know, he he's completely trapped, not only in the cavern, but let's remember that the rest of the underground excavation that he was doing also caved in. So we have no idea if the Silex got out of here unscathed. Uh, you know, it, it he's he left no note. I like I, I want I want to emphasize this here is that he left no clue, no note, no indication of where he was. So no one knows to even come looking for him. He, like, he, Karn's in a bad spot. Karn's in a bad spot. He's buried under rocks. No one knows he's here, like you said. And Lord knows when anyone's going to find him. So one of the things that I really love about this episode is Karn's struggle with being a machine but having human emotions. It's really compelling here. He really struggles with the fact that he's a machine but he has a moral compass. He has a conscience, and he isn't. He really wants to help people. He wants to be better than just a machine. But then you see him go into almost like beast machine mode when he's fighting, and so he has to contend with that in his own mind. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a, it's a really compelling, like you said, parallel between Karn, who is a machine like the Phyrexians, but also nothing like the Phyrexians, right? He was built with a conscience. He was built with human emotions. Whereas the Phyrexians are machines that are just built for destruction and they don't have that conscience. And Karn, in, in, from what I'm gathering in this episode, is almost more human than not. We almost, there were times where I almost forgot 
that Karn was a machine just because he had such human emotions about him. And it was relatable, you know, he, he's so human while still being very machine. Yeah, he has complex relationships with humans. He has complex relationships with other planeswalkers that he kind of goes into in his own head here. He has complex relationships with himself. Yes, you know, he's he like, really does. He's, he's, he really does. self-conflicting in, in himself over, you know, right from wrong and whether you know, this emotion that he's feeling, is it right? You know, and he's he's constantly questioning himself. And he even has his own stubbornness, his own pride, his own, you know, over I'm going to be doing this alone. And he had that whole spiel at the beginning of this of this episode in the story over he's almost kind of glad that he could do this alone because he doesn't have to wait for humans to eat or sleep or do any of that. He can do it all on his own. Um, and so he's obsessing. Yeah. Which is a human yeah, thing, right? Yeah. Like, He's not approaching it logically. If he was approaching it logically, he would have told someone where he was going. He would have brought someone with him. He would have left a note. He would have done something. <laughs> but no, he's like, you don't believe me? Well, I'll show you. I'll and show runs off. you. And how relatable is that? Like, I, we have all been there at least once. And so it's just right. very relatable of wherever, what Karn is doing here, as frustrating as it is, you know, like... We can we can definitely relate here. And I mean, on the scale that this is, I understand his frustration, right? Like he's trying to tell you that there is a multiverse, that, th that there is a threat to the multiverse and literally no one will hear him. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, the other thing that surprised me in this episode was how quickly he finds, you know, the Phyrexians. Like mm -hmm. I really expected that, you know, this is a five part story. So we're in episode one and we've already found Phyrexians. So, oh my gosh. Children, no less. Like, shielded. shielded. Freaking shielded. Freaking giant spider-looking lady who can pop herself into little millions of tiny spiders. Yeah, and why do you have to remind away? me? <laughs> <laughs> so who knows what's going to happen next? I mean... Yeah, and they haven't been a threat in the multiverse for so long, but it's clear that they've been at work. You know, like, they, they have clearly not gone away in this time since we've seen them. They've clearly been, you know, kind of like the slow but silent sort of threat that we purposefully forgot about. And now they are back. So if you're new, brand new to magic, if you're joining us to learn about magic and, and the story of magic, the last couple of sets that we've released, there have been a sprinkling of Phyrexians. And what I mean by that is that a Phyrexian has kind of been showing up in the past few sets. And um, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but the fact that they're here now means business. Like we, Magic has been showing, hey, look, there's a Phyrexian here, there's a Phyrexian here. And I think we've all been wondering what's going on with the Phyrexians. Well, now we know they were headed to Dominaria and they are here to do some damage. So I'm really interested to see where the next episode takes us. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Karn's in a bad space. We're just going to have to find out what happens to him and what he, how he's actually going to be able to get out of this cave if he gets out of this cave. Like, <laughs> I don't know how he's going to get out of this cave, y'all, but I mean, I guess we'll have to find out in episode two. So for those of you listening in out there, you can always read the full magic story at mtgstory.com. Will Karn escape the avalanche? Does Rona's eye cannon still work? Is Shieldred okay? Let's find out next time in episode two. Thanks for joining us in the multiverse. Have, have a magical, magical day. day.